0: Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. I was super excited to continue this new series, The Parable Project. Because we get to hear straight from our Lord and Savior's mouth. We get to hear directly from our Savior himself. You know, I I realize that we say every week, Jesus is our message, Bible is our guide. and, And, you know, some of us can get really concerned about the theological matters that we learn about and we hear about. Um, and talk about on Sundays, and then we relegate these mornings to just understanding the scriptures, so that it could be a weapon in the culture wars that we fight out of here when we when we leave this room. And I I don't want us to merely see the Bible as a weapon that we can use. Yes, it, it is a sword. It's like a double-edged sword, right? But we also have to understand that the word is the word that Jesus left us so that he can build communion with us, so that we can be connected to him, so that we can follow him um, based off of the words that he left us. So the parables that we talk about and that we're talking about in this series is a great opportunity to hear straight from Jesus. If we wanna get to know Jesus, some of us say like we want an intimate relationship with him and we wanna grow in our relationship with him, but none of us read the Gospels. Where Jesus leaves words, there's like lots of red letters in the Testaments and that is all, much in the New Testament, that's all like words straight from Jesus. So these are illustrations that God has left us and these parables, these stories are a great opportunity for us to hear directly from our Savior and Lord's heart. But I believe that too many of us are settling for secondhand revelation from pastors' lives. I mean, there's moments, even as I was preparing, I was like, I need to have a great illustration so that they could really understand this dishonest manager, you know? I really need them to understand this parable. But I'm like, this parable is the illustration. This parable is a story. This is straight from Jesus. Don't rely only on the illustrations of people that you know or on Caleb and Chrissy because we live, live much different lives than you. And if I start pointing you to my life, then I'm not doing my job. So I want to point you to Jesus this morning and I want you to be more interested in accountability from our Lord Jesus himself, not just relatability. So that's the goal today, that we would point you back to Jesus. So spending time in these parables are going to afford us the opportunity to know more about the heart of Jesus and ask what would Jesus do, not for the sake of behavior management, but for heart stewardship. This message is an opportunity for you to steward your heart and align it with what Jesus cared about. Jesus, in the final um, days and months and weeks of his life, he was sharing these parables. And you, have, you better believe that he's not just sharing these stories for entertainment. I'm not preaching this for entertainment. I wanna be in line with my Savior's heart and he's sharing these parables and these stories so that we would get focused on the mission to expand his kingdom, And this is a kingdom matter that we're talking about this morning through a nice, tidy-up story. So again, this is not just about you guys behaving correctly. This is about us stewarding our hearts. And is your heart caring about the things that Jesus cared most about when he knew that his final days on on this earth was counted, was numbered? The final days were numbered for him, and he's sharing about the kingdom, so he wants us to steward our heart this morning, and interestingly enough, this parable is also about stewardship. So I need you to understand a little bit more about parables in general, Um, and you know, I could tell you the story right away, but I feel like if you understand the commonalities of all the parables, you'll understand how to dissect these parables in the future as we move forward in this series, but... We need to understand that these parables are a means for Jesus to provoke our imaginations. You know, this is great for some of you who are creatives, who you're a little bit more open-minded, you're open-hearted, and this is our way of being able to see what God is doing in this world from a different perspective. Um, Again, he knows that the end of his life is... Coming and these parables have everything to do with the assignment he has to build the kingdom and instruct us who are Christ followers to build the kingdom with him. So a couple things about parables. Number one, most of these parables have to do with the kingdom and the kingdom is surprising. If you're taking down notes, I think you're gonna follow along with me a lot better if you write down and take down notes, Okay. So some commonalities about these parables. Number one, the kingdom is surprising. There's more than what meets the eye when it comes to God's kingdom. Surprising, there's always a surprising factor. The kingdom is surprising. Number two, the kingdom of God is upside down. You've heard us talk about this and I'm gonna continue to talk about it today but the values of the kingdom of God are opposite from the earthly kingdom, right? The first shall be last, right? And the last shall be first, in order to inherit the kingdom, you must humble yourself. You know, the, the, the people who are brought high are the ones who serve. This is an upside-down kingdom, completely different values than the earthly kingdom. And third, the kingdom of God requires a decision. Ultimately, after you read these parables and after you study these parables, you are now <laughs> held accountable to the words of Jesus. And you have a decision to make. Are you gonna trust him or are you going to ignore him? This is straight from Jesus. This is not an illustration for my life. This isn't a lesson that I'm teaching you for my life. This is a lesson that Jesus is trying to get to you and to provoke more in your your emotions and your imagination. So listen carefully. Take notes today. Um, You also have to understand that these parables were told when there were many who were following him, many who were skeptical of him, many who were um, following him devoutly, and others who just wanted to trip him up. So a lot of religious people who were around him. And you know, these are just seemingly simple stories. But I love what 1 Corinthians 127 says, because this is essentially the matter of these parables, but it says, but God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Jesus uses these brilliant stories. He's an amazing storyteller to really get to the hearts of those who are open-minded, open-hearted, and who were ready to follow him. But these parables are also a little bit confusing sometimes, and it was meant to confound the religious people. Whose hearts were closed and whose hearts were already hardened? They didn't want to know the truth. They wanted to, um, they wanted to trip up Jesus. So you'll ha- you'll understand now that parables moving forward, there's a little bit of a mis- mystery to them. But to the one who is following Jesus, the one who is not skeptical. And I want to speak right now, and I did this first service, and I sense it again. I believe that there's some people who come into church skeptically, and you're not getting all that God wants to give you because you have heart in your heart. And so I'm praying right now for our hearts to be open, for any wounds that have come from the past, especially because we're talking about Monday and the church. Like, w- I, that is all wounds from your past that God, number one, wants to heal, and number two, wants to open up your heart so you can build his kingdom with with him. But there's so much treasure that is waiting to be discovered in these parables for those who follow Jesus, for those who have wholeheartedly given themselves to Jesus. So that's what's happening today. Let's read this parable the dishonest manager and you'll hear me throughout the message kind of exchanging The words manager and steward, essentially they are the same thing, which we'll talk about a little bit more. So let's pick it up. Luke 16, 1 through 13. 13 verses follow along carefully. Here we go. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. In other words, you're fired, bro. Verse three And the manager said to him, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. Ah, I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, 100 measures of oil. He said to them, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? He said, 100 measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write down 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Okay, so that's a little confusing. If you're confused right now, don't worry, we'll address it. Verse 10, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. All right, here we go. I just need to give you a few notes about this, this particular parable. Um, first of all, one out of three parables have to do with money. This is one of them, right? So essentially, I want to let you know that your money matters to Jesus. Many accuse the church of talking about so much and continue to accuse us because we're going to continue to talk about what Jesus talks about. And we'll We'll receive the offering every week because we believe in giving for the earthly, in the earthly way, for the eternal benefit of bringing more people into the kingdom of God. So God cares about your money. Number two, another note about this parable good lessons can be learned from a bad example. Good lessons can be learned from a bad example, but make no mistake, in this story, the manager, the steward, he is wrong, okay? He's dishonest. he It's not good. I, I need you to understand this because I think that there's moments where we get confused here in our life when we're like, oh man, that person really gained a lot, but look how much good they did. They gained it dishonestly, but they're able to do so much good with it. No, that doesn't negate the, the wrongdoing, okay? And we are going to be the type of people who live kingdom-minded and do it with integrity, Okay, so let's not forget that even though you can learn a lesson from a bad example, it doesn't make the bad good. Okay, this is just a very typical rabbinic um, technique in telling stories where these rabbis want to teach people how to be good by learning from the person who did wrong. Okay, you can get good lessons from bad people, but we're going to continue to be good people, good examples, right? All right. And then the third note I want to make about this is that there are actually three lessons that we can learn from this parable. Um, three of them is like, one, be like the manager, and two others that are like, don't be like the manager, okay? So the bad and don't be like him outweighs the be like him, okay? So most parables, they have one main lesson, but this one has three, three lessons. So Before we jump in, I want us to understand the steward a little bit more, understand this manager, and understand this manager in the story, but also understand that we can all be like this manager. There is something in all of us that is not perfected, something that is not completely sanctified in us, so we can understand that we can learn a lesson from this bad example, because we've been bad examples at times, Okay, this is not to say that Christians don't do this. And, you know, we can find ourselves in all of the fleshly examples that Jesus gives us. And if we don't read the scriptures with that lens, then we're reading it with a religious haughty spirit. So we have to understand that we have too been like this steward or this manager. And this is interesting because this, um, this story comes right after the prodigal son story. And in a way, this is talking about being a prodigal manager, a prodigal steward. The prodigal son is essentially, prodigal means wasteful, the wasteful son. He wasted away his life. He wasted away his riches. He wasted a lot. And so what we find here is that this prodigal son is also, or excuse me, this is a prodigal manager. We're understanding that this prodigal manager is, number one, careless, careless. Let's read it. In verse 1 and 2, there was a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. He was wasteful. A careless manager is a wasteful manager. Do you hear me? So a careless manager is a wasteful manager or who uses things for what the owner doesn't want him to use it for. We are all stewards. I, I think about, man, we're in the middle of budget planning with our staff, okay, And one of the big principles that we talk about with our staff is if you wouldn't spend your own personal money this way, then don't spend the church's money that way. And this is talking to myself. Like we have to be mindful that this isn't our money. Every good and perfect gift is from God. All of our wealth, all of our health, that's from him. Now we need to recognize that if we're wasting it, then that means we're not doing with it what the owner wants us to do with it. We are not the owner. We are only the manager. That means you're being careless when you're not doing what the manager wants you to do with it. We see that in verse 1 and 2. If the manager is being called out by so many others in the organization, so to say, or in the work, then and going all the way to the owner, you know he was really careless. And we read about it a little bit more here. Um, But this is just a side. has nothing to do with being careless. But it does say, and he called him and said to him, what is it that I hear? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. He's saying you're fired, but also give an account. So this is a matter or this is an issue that's happening in accounts receivable. And the manager is not giving the owner all of his money, right? And so I actually feel like not only is the steward careless, but also... This manager is careless. If the manager is telling the careless manager or if the, if the owner is telling the careless manager to rectify some of these accounts and he's already been careless, that's not very wise of the owner, is it? So we have to be mindful, like this guy... <laughs> Fires him kind of, but also asks him to do more for him. And to me, this is just a note and a principle that we follow and that maybe you as managers in the room, business owners, whatever, um, yeah, you can hire slow, but fire fast, okay? Because you already have a bad seed. We got to be careful with the careless because they can exacerbate issues. Anyways, that was an aside. But number two, what we learned about the steward is that he's a classic problem solver, And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is firing me? He's taking my manager away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig. I don't have this skill set. I'm not ashamed to, and and, and I'm too ashamed to beg. So this was funny to me because I think that it's so interesting how much we think through ways where we don't have to um, work hard. The steward the manager who is not willing to work hard will think through a lot of ways to avoid what you need to do and take responsibility. So at this point, he's just like, oh, he's concerned about what he's doing. He's not repentant. He's not like, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. He just becomes problem solving, classic problem solver. We need to get to the point, though, that we're hard workers so that we're not spending so much time trying to solve problems. If we just work hard, then we probably wouldn't be spending so much time thinking about solving a problem. Oh, man, I'm getting so, Jesus, help me. Okay, here we go. Verse 3 and 4, we see a classic problem solver. solver. And then in verse 5, he has a eureka moment. He says, ah, I know what I should do. I figured out how I can solve the problem, and so he becomes cunning, cunning, and he goes to two debtors, and I, we did the math looking through, studying how much this would really add up to. There's a, there's a debt for some gallons of oil. There's a debt for some bushels of wheat, so for the first debtor, he owes 900 gallons, but the manager asks that he would only give him 450. So, do you see how this shrewd, this cunning, this dishonest manager is saying, I know that you owe 900, but I'm gonna make myself really good here and I'm gonna give you a discount and I'm gonna have you actually only give me 450 gallons of olive oil? Well, you know how careless he is being because 900 gallons in this day of olive oil, means that he had not been managing money well. If this is how much debt his owner is in because of what he's managing, that's a lot, okay? 900 gallons in this day and age. You know how how many olives that is to be pressed? 900 gallons. And then he's so sneaky, sneak, sneakerton. okay? And he says, I'm gonna only ask them for 450. And then, you know what? Hey, and I'll let you off on that 450, as if he had the say, right? It's just dishonest to make him look good. And then you know what? The person probably said to him, Oh, you know what? If you need a place to stay, if your family ever needs anything, I'll help you. I'll, we'll help you out. Do you see what the dishonest man- manager was doing, right? Then he goes to the second debtor. This debtor owes 1,000 bushels, but he says, Actually, you only owe 800. Here, sign and sign off right here. And he says he quickly signs off on this. You know that somebody's not being honest when they're telling you to quickly sign something. Okay, so take your time with contracts. Look closely. If somebody's rushing you into something, this is just a practical note. Check on them, okay? No one needs to be rushing you into anything. That's just some practical notes for you. So what does Debtor 2 probably do? He probably says, okay, you know what? You're, getting, you're letting me off on 200 bushels of wheat? Sure. If you ever need anything, let me know. I'll return the favor. Do you see how dishonest this manager is? For his own gain, he's giving them a discount on what they're not paying him, they're paying his owner. So he's cheating his owner again. So this is very confusing for a lot of people, okay, when they're reading this because we come to verse eight. But again, this parable is going to help us understand Jesus' kingdom. We can't get so caught up in the story because, again, God is wanting us, Jesus is wanting us to open up our imaginations and really think through this in such a way that we're not, he's not just putting this out for everybody to hear, knowing that they're going to understand it. It's meant to be a little bit mysterious because he knows that there's religious people who are trying to stomp him or, or stop him, right? From giving, he's trying to trip him up. But he's saying, for those who are really seeking the kingdom meaning here, this will make a lot more sense, okay? Follow me. So verse 8, this is where everybody is surprised. Remember, when we understand the kingdom of God, when we understand these parables, the kingdom of God is surprising. It's surprising because Jesus commends the steward. This is so problematic for people because in verse 8, he says, Jesus says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. You're like, what? Okay, this is just the master. This isn't Jesus. No, no, no. I need you to understand that in Greek, this word master is not the master in the story. This is Jesus. This is our Lord. That that word is translated to the master, the Lord. The Lord is commending this individual for his shrewdness. When I read shrewdness the first time, I was just like, Shrewd for being a shyster. He's commending him for being a cheat, for being kind of, you know, mischievous. He yeah, if you really look at the word in Greek though, shrewd means sensible, thoughtful, prudent and wise. See, at this point, I was kind of like, seriously, why are we commending this guy? But what Jesus is wanting us to understand, what he's wanting you to be hungry for is the deeper meaning. What he's saying here is you need to do what this man did. He made friends by giving them discounts, and he wanted, he wants us to use our money to build the kingdom of God. How do you build kingdom, the kingdom of God? You build relationships with people. You make friends. Okay? But again, remember, this is a bad example, but learning a good lesson from it. We can get to the point where we get more shrewd in the way we do business, in the way we do relationship. We... Do it in order, we create relationships, we use our money, we do it so that people can be added to the kingdom. This is Jesus' mission. This is him saying all y'all people who are not that honest can still be used for my kingdom. And do it in such a way that people can be brought into the kingdom. Do it in such a way that's actually honest. This is just a teaching ploy, okay? To use... A bad example for a good lesson. The lesson here remains the same, that we need to use our money to make friends. We need to use our money so that we can add people to the kingdom. Jesus is concerned about adding more to the kingdom. He's concerned about you giving your life to him, you being wholehearted in love with him and he uses other people in your life. How many people are here because somebody invited you? How many people are here because somebody prayed for you? How many people are here because you heard about Jesus from somebody in your life? You've all been brought here by imperfect people and Jesus used you, use them. So we need to remember that Jesus wants to leave instructions for us to be generous. Use our money to benefit the kingdom. You might be thinking, okay, well, how do I do that practically? I'm going to unashamedly tell you right now that the mission of Project Church is to lead all people to life and freedom in Jesus. Our goal is to do what Jesus has asked us to. Caleb and Chrissy and the staff and everybody in it, everybody who calls Project Church their church home, we are obsessed about leading all people to life and freedom in Jesus. So where do you give your money? You give your money to the church. Like, of course, she's a pastor. The church's gonna say this. This doesn't benefit me. This benefits the kingdom. We need to get our minds and our eyes on kingdomly things and not be so skeptical and see what is underneath the surface of what does Jesus want us to do with our finances? I'm gonna tell you right now to give to the church. Give and it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You can't outgive God. If you sow sparingly, Paul says in the Corinthians, you will reap sparingly. You sow bountifully and what? You reap bountifully. You can't outgive God. And can I tell you, this is a generous church and we are experiencing the peace and the joy and the happiness and all of the unity and all of the exciting things that's happening in church because you have given, period. God uses you as you emulate Jesus in your generosity, to bring and add people into his kingdom. Give to the church. Number two, give to the missionaries. Give to our global partners is what we call it here at Project Church. We tithe off of the tithe. So everything that you give, 10% of it goes directly to missionaries that we serve. Fourth, A little over, almost $5,000 of that goes directly to missionaries that we have. And everything else goes into a bank where we give to People who need a project, they need 5000 here, 10000 here, 1000 here. For a missionary, we gave them $200 that they needed for a trip this week. 10% of everything that's given here is given to missions because here's the thing. If Jesus can't trust us with the 10%, how can he trust us with the rest of it? So give to missionaries. Philippians 4 talks about this principle. Paul is thanking Philippians while he is under house arrest in Rome. And he's saying, you know, I might be under house arrest right now, but thank you for continuing to give. Continue to give because I desire fruit that may abound in your account. That fruit of people coming and being added to the kingdom, and that would be charged to your account. That's because of what you've given here, that missionaries are able to do what they do. We'll talk and we'll take up offerings every once in a while, especially at the end of the year where it'll go to people um, that work with an organization that we were just celebrating this week, Caleb and I. We went to a trip in Monterey, and we were hearing all about this organization called um, Project Rescue. Project Rescue. They're, they're liberating girls who've been trafficked, um, and they're building homes of hope. They've been around for over 25 years and they've been consistently doing this work, they've opened up homes in Africa, opened up homes in Moldova, in Spain, in India, and they are seeing women and children added to the kingdom of God. Even those who have trafficked them have come to know the name of Jesus. Give to missionaries. Like Paul, we desire fruit that may abound to your account. And also on a one-to-one level, one-on-one level, who are you being generous to? Who are you tipping to? When you're a Christian after Sunday service and you're going to have a meal, use your money to tip generously so they may know that it's the Jesus follower who is generous. You know, and actually practice hospitality. Some of us have to get to the point where we're inviting people to dinner. We're inviting people to our table. We're going to spend the money to cook for them, to, to pay for a meal if you don't like to cook, you know. Like, let's be hospitable. Let's invite people. Let's invite unsaved friends, not just our us for no more. I don't think that's the godly principle. It ain't kingdom, y'all. Let's add more people to the kingdom of God and say, hey, let's be generous, not just to my Christian friends, but let's be generous to those who don't know Jesus, those who are far from him and who need to know the truth of the gospel so that it may set them free. This is the first application from this parable, to be like the manager who was shrewd with the money to win friends. Are we winning friends for Jesus by means of generosity? That's our first lesson. But second, we have to understand that the kingdom of God, it's upside down. And we see this when Jesus commends not just the dishonest Manager, but he commends the spiritual things. This is the part that I think makes a lot more sense to us, okay? Verse 10 One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? Again, I know I've talked to you about the kingdom. The kingdom is where the humble inherit the earth, not the proud, not the boastful, not the ones who are large and in charge. The rich are the ones who are sent away, according to Luke 153. they They're sent away empty. The kingdom of God is much different than the earthly kingdom where the rich win, right? Again, first shall be last, last shall be first. The kingdom of God is upside down. There's more than what meets the eye and it's a spiritual kingdom. So God is commending faithfulness here. He's commending those who are faithful with the little, not the much, not the one who's doing a lot of great things in the name of Jesus. The one who is faithful with the little. The kingdom of God is spiritual, so natural things, very earthly things have very spiritual implications. This is some things that I know that many of, many a parent try to teach, okay? For instance, Charlie, my little girl, if your bedroom isn't clean, how can you, how can I trust you with eventually being the, the woman of your home where you can manage a household? Boys, if you can't put your shoes away. I'm not going to buy you another pair of Jordans. You know what I'm saying? Like if I, if I can't trust you with taking care of the little, how can I trust you with more? If I can't trust you to mow the lawn, I don't actually have much of a lawn, but if I had a lawnmower, I would say then how can I trust you with a vehicle one day if you're not going to gas it up? If you can't take the time to do the little things, how can I trust you with the big things? If I can't trust you I feel like God's saying this. If he can't trust us with the 10%, then how can he trust us with the 90%? How many of us have been dishonest with our finances and how we are generous to God and give back to him what is his? Let me tell you right now, Caleb and I, we have said the tithe is the tithe. We had a conversation with Canaan the other day. He had $180. He's like, what's 10% of that? Should I be giving my money to the Lord? Yes, you should be giving your money to the Lord. How much? What's 10%? $18. Okay, well, he's like, I can't. I only have a 20 and a five. So I said, bro, we'll make cash. or Yeah, we'll make change. Yes. <laughs> we'll make change. And you'll be able to give your eight. And if not, the tithe to us is a starting place. That's just the principle Caleb and I have said. We start with 10%, but God grants us more so that we can give above and beyond. That's who Jesus is. That's the generous spirit that Jesus has. So God, may my tithe, my tithe, may my what." is owed to you, given back to you. Gosh, may it be 25%, 50%, 90% by the time I'm done on this earth. If you can't handle what's been given to you, how can he trust you with more? And not just the practical, but how can he trust you with spiritual responsibility? Again, the kingdom is not just this practical king this is a spiritual thing very practical things have spiritual implications in the kingdom of god it's an upside down kingdom we can't we're not always going to understand it but if you can't handle your earthly money then how can you handle spiritual things every time we have somebody lead at a larger capacity here or if they come on staff we tell them that you have to be tithing you have to be giving it's a requirement we might be thinking like, oh, you command that? Oh, God is God of grace. No, I'm sorry. I am so obsessed with, we are so obsessed with this principle. And we believe in the kingdom economy that if, if the people who are leading this house are good stewards of their personal finances, then they will be good stewards of not just the monies that come in that project, but in the lives that come here to the church upside-down kingdom is the second application from this parable, to not be like this steward. Do not be like this manager, and actually be careful with what God has given you to handle. And finally, number three, when we understand Jesus' kingdom, we understand that decision has to be made. Jesus commands your service. Like, Wow, commands? Yeah, that's a strong thing, but here's what he says. No servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Listen, the Apostle Paul, I'm, I'm closing up here. The Apostle Paul in First Timothy 6, he says, We brought nothing into this world. We brought nothing into this world so we can't take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with ease, we shall be content. But those who wanna get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction." Wow, when you have much, when you, have, when, when you get rich, you plunge into ruin, and destruction, wow. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of what? Evil. It's not money that's the root of evil. It's the love of it. You can have a whole lot of it and not love it. And you can have none of it and love it like crazy. How many people? I don't have a lot of it and I love it like crazy, right? Or hope for it, wish for it. Even if you don't have it, you love it. You know what I'm saying? But hear, hear me. God wants our whole heart is the point of this, this last point. You can't serve God in money. What God is looking for is a whole heart. Again, I talked about stewardship with the heart, right? God is asking for your whole heart. And it's hard when you have money. (laughs) You can't love God with a whole heart and love wealth with a whole heart. John Calvin, he says this, where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. Covetousness makes us the slaves of the devil. Again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't make money or shouldn't be rich. If you are, if you have more, and all of us are rich, really, in light of this world, a lot of us have way more than you can ever even think those who are in poverty have, okay? We are all rich in America. Many of us are. And if you're complaining right now in your head, oh, I pray, God, that you would give us a revelation of the abundance that we have in the freedom to serve you and love you. But I want you to understand that this is something that God's asking for your whole heart. I wanna close with this um, quote from an author. His name is Arthur Pink. What I love about it is his life represents the upside down kingdom. He wasn't really well known. He wasn't a prolific uh, speaker while he was alive or, or writer while he was alive. What he did was he did a lot in private. He wrote a lot. He taught a lot of people in smaller settings. And after he passed, his writings came to light. And listen to me. I I love that I'm ending on this particular quote because it's this idea that so many people are concerned with the wealth of this world. And I'm not just talking money. But we are obsessed with influence. We're obsessed with followers. We're obsessed with, yeah, influence and what we can do with what we have and, and how much notoriety that we have. But God's kingdom is opposite. He wants, to, he wants you to be a part of work that will last forever. Now, some of us will have the sovereign move of God and your face will be out there and churches will go bigger and you know, that's, that can be a move of God. But I think we have to be more concerned with the way we steward our heart, the way we steward our lives in private and in public. And so here's what Arthur Pink says about this whole idea of loving God or loving money. He says these orders are diametrically opposed. The one commands you to walk by faith, the other walk by sight. The one to be humble, the other to be proud. The one to set your affections on things above, the other to set them on the things that are on earth. The one to look at the things unseen and eternal and the other to look at the things seen and temporal. The one to have your conversation in heaven, the other to cleave to the dust. The one to be careful for nothing, the other to be full of anxiety. The one to be content with such things as you have, the other to enlarge your desires. The one to be ready to distribute, the other to withhold. The one to look at the things of others, the other to look at one's own things the one to seek happiness in the Creator, the other to seek happiness in the creature. Is it not plain? There is no serving to such masters. God is looking for your whole heart. He doesn't want it to be divided. He wants it to be fully given to Him. Whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you have much or little, He's saying be faithful what I have given you and I care about the things, I'm gonna commend the spiritual things. Like I want your whole hearts. And everything I do, everything I breathe, everything I bring in, everything that, I, that is connected to my name or my work, may it be used for the expansion of the kingdom because that is what Jesus was about. Would you bow your heads in this place? I believe that God is wanting to attend to our hearts today. This was not a message to bring condemnation, but to challenge us to do more, give more. Give more. And the only way we're gonna give in a way that pleases him is if we give him more of our heart. Because when we give him our heart, then we are about the business who created the heart. So Jesus, I pray that you would just address those who who are in this room right now. Address their hearts. Address our hearts. God, show us where we can be more generous. Show us where we have withheld. Show us where we have been stingy. Show us where we have not stewarded well. Show us how you want us to steward. Give us strategy. I also want to pray, and I prayed in first service for this, but I also want to pray for those maybe who are in this room and you're in the middle of some legalities um, or different issues financially, your business, your personal life, and that God just wants to remind you that he is the owner of it all. And he's not condemning you if you're not stewarded well, but he's saying that I want to be your your provider, your Jehovah Jireh. And this week, actually, um, we had a situation that could have cost us a lot of money and we were praying about it and we're asking the Lord to, um, you know, move on the hearts of the people who are trying to essentially gouge us a lot of money. And we were like, Lord, what do we do? We're blameless in this. What do we do? And you know what he did? He just removed the debt free and clear this week. And so I believe that he wants that grace to be extended, if you're a part of this house and we're experiencing things like that in our organization, then you're also gonna experience that in your personal life. So right now in Jesus' name, if that's you in the room, could you raise your hand? I just wanna pray over you. If you're you're in the middle of any kind of legal issues, debts that need to be paid, I wanna pray for you, Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would set them free from the anxiety that is over them because of this financial situation. We say right now that you own it all. You own every last good thing in our life. And Lord, you have greater strategies um, in heaven for us. So I pray that they would be as shrewd as this manager, that they would find ways um, to honorably, honorably get themselves out of this situation because that honorable way is from heaven. So I pray that you would provide strategies in Jesus' name, that you would set them free from the bondage of the, um, the, the yoke of slavery that is, gosh, Uh, anxiety. You're ridden by anxiety. You can't sleep because this situation has been weighing on you. God, I pray that you would rectify these situations in Jesus' name, that you would provide for them, and then you would set a a mantle of peace over all of your people that you are going to have your way where there seems to be no way. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. And now if you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, there are people in this room who you're saying, man, I want to give him my whole heart. I want to give him more of my, I find as a sure, but I also want to give him my whole heart so I can understand, so I can understand him. I want to understand his heart. I want to be on mission for him. He's been the savior of my soul and I know him to be a good God. I know these things, but I want to know him in heart. I want to know him intimately. Can I tell you this story was all about you getting to know the heart of a perfect God who is good and he wants to connect with you and if that's you in this room and you want to grow in your intimate relationship with him right now I want to pray over you and give you that opportunity to say yes to him so if that's you in this place and you say I want to make you the Lord of my life I want to follow you I want to give my heart fully wholly devoted to you if that's you in this place on the count of three would you raise your hand and we'll pray over you one two three Anybody, I see those hands all over. Hand, 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 hand. Hands all over here, hands over over that corner. Very good. Everybody, want don't you repeat after me as I pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for bringing me here today. I accept you into my life, to my whole life, my family, my finances, all the secrets of my heart. I believe that you died and rose again so that I might have life, peace, joy, and freedom. I confess my need of you. I don't wanna live for this world any longer. I wanna give my life to you. I'm a sinner, so wash me clean, make me new, and give me the strength to live for you for the rest of my life. I love you, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, can we clap our hands for those who raise their hands? It's the most important decision you will ever make. Why don't we stand in this room? Hey, again, I told you this is a matter of the heart that we taught about today, and we have a few more things after this song, but can we just commit this time to the Lord by singing the song, that we're going to be more aware of His presence, and then we have um, a couple announcements for you afterwards. You'll be seated afterwards, but let's let's give the Lord some praise here for what He did in this room. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront Old Sacramento district. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.